sometimes it's good to have an abstract or a, or a physical something to blame the injury on. Right. And sometimes you have to go inside and say, well, wait a second, what else was going on in your head when you slipped? Were you thinking of, I don't know, the boyfriend you just broke up with? Exactly. <laughs> Were you thinking of the dinner you're going to cook when you get home at 11 o'clock at night? Yeah. Or... Were you just like distracted by like, what else was going on? You know, sometimes you have to acknowledge that it's not just the fact that the floor is hard or the shoe is bad, Mm -hmm. that sometimes there's something else going on. And, and I don't need to know what it is, but I want them to acknowledge the fact that it's multifaceted. Welcome to the Artist Becoming podcast. Hey, Jess. Hey, Shelby, a five, six, seven, eight. Join us in weekly conversations with performing artists across stages, studios, rinks, fields, and screens. Every conversation, a chance to dive deep into the story of their becoming. All right, Shelby, let's get on into it. This artist conversation features Marika Molnar the Director of Physical Therapy Services for the New York City Ballet and the School of American Ballet, a dance educator, acupuncturist, nutritionist, the mother willow healer of our nation's top dancers, and a true artist becoming. Let's dive in. Hello and welcome, Marika Molnar, to the Artist Becoming podcast. We are so humbled to sit in your presence today. Thank you for joining us. (laughs) My pleasure. (laughs) To share a little bit of your background with our audience, Marika is a graduate of Columbia University, where she obtained a graduate certificate in physical therapy. She has a master's in dance education from NYU, a certificate in nutrition from the Institute of Integrated Nutrition, and on top of that, a master's in acupuncture. So a bit of a multi-hyphenate we're working with here. Um, (laughs) Marika was the first physical therapist to be hired on site at a professional ballet company, which was New York City Ballet many, many years ago in 1980. So congratulations, that is a long time running. And um, and I know you personally from my background training at the School of American Ballet, you are a bit of a, um, a god, a sorceress, keeping these dancers uh, vertical. <laughs> and functioning. And so we are, um, we're really excited to lend your voice and your expertise to, um, to the many dialogues happening here at Artists Becoming. Would you begin by sharing with us a little bit about yourself, your story, perhaps your relationship with dance or the performing arts, um, just kind of lead us in whatever way you would like to where you are now? Oh, well, I can go back to when I was a, a little kid in Hungary. And my mother had a little dance company and my sister and I would participate, of course. And when we came to America, basically uh, doing what a lot of the Ukrainians are doing now, when the Russian, Russian tanks pulled into Budapest, my parents fled. Um, we were refugees back in 1956. And when we came to this country, my mother wanted to keep the Hungarian heritage alive not just for us, but for all the other hundreds of Hungarians that were here. So she formed a Hungarian dance company. And of course, my sister and I were part of it. Wow! And then during my growing up 
you know, my, as, as a lot of the girls did in, in those days, we took classes at, you know, Miss Kathy's dance studio where we did ballet, tap, jazz, ballroom. We did everything. And then also gymnastics, which actually I fell in love with. And once I turned about 12 or 13 and I realized that point shoes were really painful, I continued tapping for quite a while, but point shoes were really painful. So then gymnastics became a favorite of mine. And um, I did Hungarian folk dancing well into my 20s. Wow. And then during that time, of course, I, you know, I, I started teaching in a private girls school on the Upper East Side. And I taught dance pretty much from kindergarten through 12th grade. And then I had a little dance company. And then I went to PT school. Gosh, uh, for some reason, I, I had this feeling that I was supposed to do more than whatever it was that I was doing. Mm. And I applied for some reason to Columbia and got in. And luckily, there was um, only about 40 students in my grade. And all of them had just literally graduated from college. And this was their master's degree program. And I was one of the only, I think I was one, one or two of the only ones that had actually been working in the field for a few years before I went back to school. So that kind of gave me an advantage in that I knew what it was really like out there. I, I wasn't just going from school to more school, mm. which I think is really valid. You know, I think sometimes I see a lot of, people, non-dancers, because most of the dancers that I know are continuing to dance while they're going to college, which yeah. is an amazing feat. Um, but a lot of people just would go from, in my day anyway, a lot of people would just go right from undergraduate to graduate without really getting an idea of what it was like out there in the, in the world of work and whether or not you really wanted to do what you were studying. Yeah. Dancers, on the other hand, really know what it is they want to do because they're doing it, they're working and they're going to school. Yeah. I think that that's, you know, such, they have such great discipline. And I think that always, I think that that really always made such an impression on me because everyone I know that's been a dancer that has decided, okay, you know, my career's enough now, I'm going to do something else. They all have had some, some time in school, but then they all got into amazing colleges. They would get into Harvard and Yale and all these schools. They got into Princeton. <laughs> they, they got into medical school. I mean, it's, it's phenomenal because, you know, you, you don't think of of the discipline of dance as being such an amazing life skill for everything else. Yeah. Until you see and know people who actually are doing it. So it's it's pretty pretty amazing. So that's kind of my backstory. I I love the circuitous ways that you have stayed connected to dance, but really designed a career for yourself that worked for you, right? Mm -hmm. Like the first little disconnect moment was like point shoes hurt. Maybe, maybe this is the type of dance for me. <laughs> 
right? So and then true. You, got, you got that intellectual tug and ping and pull to, to school and let the timing of that inform your journey and incorporating, you know, your already lived experience, which contributes in a really unique way to the learning experience. Mm-hmm. I also went to school after a career and mm-hmm. couldn't recommend that more. Um, wow. So neat. So, mm-hmm. so expensive. Yeah. And I, and I continue to, and I still continue to learn just so you know, of course, <laughs> I love learning. Oh, I, I'm so grateful for the reminder that you just gave us um, because Shelby and I have spoken about it a good amount with this community, how translatable your skills are as an artist mm-hmm. into these other identities you've yet to invest in, mm-hmm. you know, and you just gave that powerful reminder of there are is so much rich knowledge and skill set and um, deep understanding of self that comes from having a career and then perhaps then studying something mm-hmm. and then taking that next step. And I think for so many dancers, you know, we're perfectionists and there's there's a feeling of you know, I didn't go ABCD. I didn't go high school, college, this, I didn't do those other steps that other people took, but you just really reminded me in a moment when I needed to hear it, you know, that at any point, you know, the history that we've lived can be absolutely there to richly inform our next chapter. And, um, I guess I am so interested to, um, talk to you about kind of injuries because, I think that we've touched on it a little bit with guests that we've had dancers or athletes and, and these sort of remarkable moments in their career where an injury really impacted their overall well-being or their sense of identity. Because when mm-hmm. you're removed from your daily grind and your art form, it can create this separation. It can really impact your sense of self. So I'd love to know, um, when working with dancers, when they, what's the first step when a dancer comes to you? What is it that they normally, what's that first moment like when a dancer comes to you, perhaps injured or perhaps even resisting that they might be injured emotionally? What, what is that moment like? Well, for me, that moment is always about calmness and making a situation relaxed and as less stress as possible Mm -hmm. because they're already under a lot of stress. And I think that I have, I have for many years acknowledged the fact that I'm a very grounded person. I'm Mm -hmm. a very grounded human being. So I have this, and I know, I know I have this effect on people when they come into my presence, they also can calm down. And so I really try and use that to their full benefit because getting getting injured and not knowing what's going on is a very scary thing when your whole identity is wrapped around being a dancer who has to perform. Yeah. And so I, I basically kind of just try and keep everything in, in a very light, lighter mode. I don't, I'm, I'm not a person that gets hysterical or, um, yeah. or, or, or hyper. Oh my God. Oh my God. I don't do that. I just go, okay, let's see what it is. Let's look at it. 
Let's elevate it and ice it if we have to. Let's take, and then we talk, how did it happen? Go through the whole history from mm -hmm. beginning to end of that moment in time. And then preview it by figuring out, well, as they're talking, I'm wondering in my head, has something happened in the, in the recent past that could have caused either the physical trauma yeah. or was there an emotional trauma? Wow. What else is, what else is part of this picture? Mm -hmm. um, and it could be something as simple as, you know, which is not simple. It, you know, mm -hmm. the point shoe, they were the wrong point shoes. Yeah. And, you know, point shoes, obviously for a ballet dancer is like 80% of their life. Yeah. You know, and it's, especially today, I mean, where everybody in the ballet world, I think is suffering from the same problem. They can't get point shoes <laughs> or they yeah. can't get point shoes that fit them. So if that's the problem, you know, then besides the fact that they have an injury, let's say plantar fasciitis, because the shoe was, was not in the right place at the heel or ankle sprain because the floor was slippery and they slipped. Sometimes they, sometimes it's good to have an abstract or, a, or a, a physical something to blame the injury on. And sometimes you have to go inside and say, well, wait a second. What else was going on in your head when you slipped? Were you thinking of, I don't know, the boyfriend you just broke up with? Exactly. <laughs> Were you thinking of the dinner you're going to cook when you get home at 11 o'clock at night? Yeah. Or were you just like distracted by like, what else was going on? Yeah. You know, well, sometimes you have to acknowledge that it's not just the fact that the floor is hard or the shoe is bad, mm -hmm. that sometimes there's something else going on. And, and I don't need to know what it is but I want them to acknowledge the fact that it's multifaceted. That is something that I have never fully appreciated about the title of a physical therapist until just now, which is, you know, I think easily you people in your profession could be classified as physical practitioner or a physical trainer, but no, a physical therapist, like the therapy component really speaks to the holistic almost zoomed out to zoom in perspective that you have to come at the physical portion of it all. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think for dancers as well, and, and any artist who uses their body as their instrument, it mm -hmm. is injuries are, are such a threat. And I learned mm -hmm. in my own training of psychology that, um, the emotional and mental injury of a physical injury mm -hmm. is often the hardest part to heal. And mm -hmm. I think that we're in a time and space where having, it's almost more normal to have a therapist than to not, you know, mm -hmm. but even, even 15 years ago, when I was at the school, like mental health was still something kind of stigmatized, not something you really admitted a need for. And so, mm -hmm. you know, it sounds like you operate from a very baseline level of grounded, which most people have to work very hard to arrive at themselves. And so how do you feel the work of mindfulness or your own mental health and well-being plays in your capacity to show up and hold that kind of space that's more than just mm -hmm. a list of PT exercises for your clients. Well, I I certainly have my own practice that I do for myself and that in, in involves breathing techniques to to kind of 
let everything go back down and not go crazy in my brain about why this or why that or, you know, and then um, I think that I'm just more aware um, perhaps than other people about how the person feels. Like when I come into their physical space, what does that energy feel like? And I get a hit. Yeah. Wow. And I can sense if somebody's very hyper inside and yet it's kind of looking like, hey, yeah, nothing's wrong. But I can feel that vibration. Yeah. And I think I think it's just also about how do you how do you listen to someone or do you just want to talk at them? And I'm a good listener. I wait, I wait for the information. Yeah. Because people that have injuries, one of the main things that I've learned is that you, you have to you have to be acknowledged that you indeed hurt. Yeah. And that something happened. It can't just be brushed aside. So I think that the the listening skills of any therapist mm. are are so valuable. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because half, you know, more than more than 50% of the time, the dancer is going to tell you what the problem is. So no matter how skilled you are as a clinician, you doesn't matter because if you listen, they will tell you. Yeah. You know, and a lot of that, a lot of that is certainly, you know, the emotional, mental parts of their lives coming through via a physical issue. Mm-hmm. Completely. Yeah. You're <laughs> You're just speaking to something that I think is so powerful, which is it's reminding me that most dancers are masters of bottling things up. And by the time they reach the point where they're admitting that they do have an injury, right? Because there's almost a process of denial of, of pushing against that that building of the inner of the injury. And by the time they arrive to you, you do as a dancer almost feel a little bit crazy. Like I love that you said, acknowledging, just acknowledging the pain, because I think in that moment, when you come, I'm thinking in my own history, the moment when I would arrive at the physical therapist, which for me was always, I wasn't a dancer that really used the physical therapy in the way it could have been really beneficial, like as a preventative sort of, um, I was very reactive. I didn't really go to the physical therapist or want anyone to know I had any type of problem until it was so far past a problem. And it was 99% emotional at that point, you know? And so I think for you to say the active listening portion of it, and to just acknowledge the dancer in that moment, you're right. I mean, when you come to the physical therapist in that moment, you know, you know where the pain is, you know where it arrived from, and you need that person on the other end of the receiving line to just accept the almost confession that's often quite hysterical, you know, and just so I, and there yeah. are, there, there definitely are physical therapists out there who perhaps aren't as um, 
empathetically, energetically, intrinsically, mm-hmm. intuitively aware in the way that you are. Um, and my question would be, do you notice a difference because you're working with both students at the School of American Ballet and professionals mm-hmm. at the New York City Ballet? Do you notice a difference in the student's relationship towards injury versus the professionals? Or are there, is there a common thread or are there differences perhaps in how those different populations process injury? Well, of course, it's pretty much based on age and experience. Yeah. Um, I think that I'd have to say that in, you know, this period of time, all dancers are so much more knowledgeable and aware, much, much more so than obviously when I started in 1980, where the, 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 his, you know, everybody was in denial, Yeah, yeah. you know, <laughs> um, yeah. but now, and also the difference is that now it's so much easier to look anything up, you know, yeah. and learn about it and, you know, sometimes it's not the best because Dr. Google isn't always yeah. the right place to go. But, um, you know, you can get information now so easily in all always that, you know, the and the younger you are, the more adept you are at, with technology. Mm-hmm. So you really can, you know, get ahead of the game in that way. Um, so I don't, you know, the young, the students are all, you know, they're very anxious because they don't, you know, they want to get into a company, let's say, or they, they want to become the dancer, mm-hmm. um, you know, and the dancers in different companies, you know, depending on what level they're at, they want to keep progressing and improving and doing better and doing more. Yeah. I mean, the one thing I have to say, <laughs> um, most dancers want to just keep dancing. They don't, they don't want an injury so they could stop dancing. If anything, we have to sometimes hold them back from dancing too much yeah. or overdoing it. Right. Because that's what they want to do. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. You know, and, and the men, their mental health, their physical health, their nutritional health, it's all intertwined. So, you know, that's why I studied so many different things so that I could get some, some more information about, because the nutrition, nutritional part is not really such a big deal in their lives, yet it is the, one of the most biggest deals of their lives, you yeah. know, and they yeah. just, we just don't really pay that much attention to it. Yeah. I mean, I assume they all eat, you know, and, yeah. but then again, who, I'm not paying attention to their nutritional habits and they have to pay attention to that. Yeah. I'm paying attention to what they look like on stage or, I mean, every once in a while I'll see somebody come off stage and say, Oh, I feel lightheaded. And then I'll discuss, well, had you eaten today or, you know? Yeah. 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 You're, you're looking to see how their knees are tracking. <laughs> exactly. Gate, I'm looking to see test. if they're, if they're pointing their feet correctly. Yeah. I'm looking, you know, they just got back on stage. I'm looking at the physical, but yeah. I'm there. And then when they come off stage and either they're, you know, if they're huffing and puffing a lot, or if they kind of look a little woozy, then I, yeah. then I will broach, 
uh, the nutritional yeah. aspect, but that's not necessarily my go-to, you know, because yeah. it's not my background, but it is an important step that that needs to be addressed. So it's definitely something that we're working on, both the nutritional aspect and the mental health aspect to bring it more into the forefront. So it's it it it's it shouldn't be looked at as anything else as any other part of taking care of yourself. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's a very four dimensional approach to, to healing and well being that your background affords you. And, and as a veteran healer at this point, I mean, 42 years, like 42 years, that is, I know it's pretty extraordinary. You know, <laughs> yeah, I think extraordinary. Most, most of my <laughs> colleagues have retired by now. <laughs> yeah, that is a, that's a career times four. And, and I think it's so, it's such a privilege to speak with someone like this, because I'm just thinking of even the way that dance, especially in New York city ballet notoriously has evolved from an athletic perspective. I mean, the expectations get higher every single year. And so you're seeing the demands on the bodies, the demands mm-hmm. on the minds are like, I don't know, five Xing every year. And you've, you've had Absolutely. this perspective. And so then you're having to adjust your treatments and your scope. And I know that you contribute a lot to scientific journals and your voice is extremely potent in, in the field of, of dance medicine and well-being. and just curious how, you know, your experience with that evolution, that turnover, that consistently heightened expectation of output and how you can kind of coach athletes, artist athletes through those standards with your very unique and very deep rooted perspective on that. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that the one, obviously the, the benefit that I have Um, as you said, is that I've been doing this for over 40 years and my name precedes me. So if I, if people know they're coming to see me, I've already probably made them 50% better without ever touching them. Yeah. Cause they get so excited by the fact that I'm going to look at them. They got in, they got in. in. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of funny, but um, I love that. (laughs) but you know it's it's the way it is it's like well okay let me look at you and 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 it's almost like um okay now we're going to be now we're getting serious here we're going to really look at you and I think that especially and I work with a lot of students other than SAB I work with with students from all over pretty much New York in the surrounding areas and there's some sense of um they have, they feel they, they have to give me the information because now we're serious because I'm here. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. Like, yeah. No, it's a back funny now. thing, you know? Yeah. Um, and I don't say this, at, you know, to try and make myself sound better than I am. It's just a fact. You know? <laughs> it's just a fact. It's like, just like if I, you know, go to see one of the doctors and the head honcho doctor walks in. I'm like, Oh my God, now I'm really getting taken care of. (laughs) You know, but yeah, I think that, I think that with, uh, with what we're seeing today, as you mentioned earlier, it is not just ballet. We are seeing these dancers dance every form of movement possible. And Every all choreographers more or less expect the dancers to be able to do anything, 
yet nobody's looking at the fact that ballet dancers train in ballet. Yeah. And I think that's going to have to be one of the things that we really take a look at because the choreographers that are coming in are not trained necessarily in ballet, but they want ballet dancers to do the, the more modern contemporary work, but in point shoots. Right. Um, you know, and so that's something that I think all, all companies will have to look at at some point because if that's the direction we're going in, then the students, you know, have to also, and even the dancers in the company have to also start getting that training so their bodies can move that way without injury. Yes. You know, and that's one of the, I think that's one of the, you know, dilemmas about how much time do you actually have in a day to train versus how much time do you have to learn ballets? Right. You know, because it's really, I think it's really a struggle. You know, even if we take a, even if we have an hour and a half class and then six hours of rehearsal, give or take an hour for lunch, and then we have two hours of performance, that doesn't leave much time during the day to really train in any other ways. And yet the dancers are all doing more physical training now than ever before. Yeah, right. Now they're doing, you know, they're doing all kinds of Pilates, gyrotonic, free weights, all kinds of, you know, strengthening at the gym, but they're not getting the training in the different forms of movement that perhaps our new choreographers coming in want them to perform. Yeah, right. Right. It's like the ballet class has been the same for centuries, you know, and you do it every day. But then when you're in a, a repertory program where you're in sneakers in one piece, Ex- point shoes in another and a heel in the last. Yes. You know, but you're but the way you're preparing for that is your demi plies, your tendus and a grand jeté. It's it doesn't the math doesn't add up kind of. Right. You know? And especially, you know, in a company like the New York City Ballet, where our repertoire is right. so varied now. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, I, I think it's I think it is something that in the future we'll really have to look at. And I don't know how they're going to do it, but I know we've been talking about it because if 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 you're going to invite choreographers in who you know have have their aesthetic and that aesthetic is not the aesthetic that these dancers have been training in. Yeah. I think there, 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 there will be problems because of that. This is making me think back. We spoke uh, a few months ago with Lynn Charles and um, she was a, a teacher of Jess as a huge mentor of, of Jessica's during her career, but she's developing kind of her own curriculum around basically like modern day and contemporary mm-hmm. point work and the mm-hmm. expectations around that. I mean, like yeah. doing a Forsyth ballet is not Swan Lake, you know? Exactly. And um, so it's, it's exciting to hear that people are thinking so intentionally about oh, yes. um, mm-hmm. how we kind of support this proactively, but it's mm-hmm. also making me think about, um, the intentionality and mindfulness beyond just our own practices, right. Of like the intentionality and mindfulness behind putting together a program, not just so that it speaks to a broader audience, but so that it 
protects and upholds the physical expectations of dancers. And mm-hmm. I can't count the times during my almost 10 year long career when we'd have our summer layoff and then we would start with Swan Lake. And it's just like, and then, <laughs> and then it would be falling soldiers, you know, and then by Nutcracker, like half the company's out and, and then we wonder why. And it's like, mm-hmm. it, um, I, and I'm sure these conversations are happening, so I don't want to diminish that at all. But from, from what I could tell when I was dancing, you know, I, I am curious about those conversations being had, you know, in the administrative offices and the role that the physical therapists play in that and the nutritionists as well, like how to best you think of like athletes and how their seasons are so designed, you know, their Mm -hmm. off seasons are designed and dancers and musical theater performers who have eight shows a week. That's, that's athleticism. That is peak elite Olympic level athleticism. And, you know, who's, who's in charge, like who's responsible for that. Yeah, I don't know. The person, the individual person has to be responsible. Yeah. But there has to be contribution from their their workplace. Yeah, you know? modeling or support. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And, and I think certainly um, the New York City Ballet has done tremendous amounts of um, work to get things available to the dancers in all ways so that the dancers can dance at their best, but still be able to seek help when they need it. Yeah. Um, I think that also not, you know, not everybody is so easily moved to seek to get help for themselves. Sometimes they need a little push. Yeah. You know, because they don't, not everybody recognizes the fact that there are other things that can help their technique. Yeah. It's not just about doing the same exercise. Right. Sometimes you actually have to rest. Yeah. You yeah. actually have to take the time to recover. And yeah. I've had I've had conversations with several people in the last few years just about how many hours a day are they working? Because if they get to the theater at 8:30 in the morning and then they go through their whole 1 hour warm up, then they do their class, then they have their rehearsal they maybe eat a little bit during lunch because they don't want to eat too much. They don't want to be bloated. And then, you know, they, they do a four o'clock fitness class and then they go back to rehearse. And I'm like, wow, wait a second. You have to slow down a little bit. Yeah. yeah. You know, the, you know, trying to figure out how to get the, the right fitness in at the right time, I think is very difficult. Mm-hmm. Because if your day is so long, then you pretty much have to wait till a rehearsal period or a layoff to get in some of the other things. Right, right. But that's that's kind of a new topic that is just pretty much being broached that maybe we should be looking at, you know, kind of that movement of workload and trying to balance it out between how much dancing you're doing versus how much exercise you're doing to stay in shape to dance. Yeah. Yeah. But you can't do them together, like to to do it together in the same time period and the same time frame, you're not giving your body a chance to rest, recover and rejuvenate. Yeah, not at all. And I, I think that when you're speaking, you're reminding me so much of 
how afraid of change or adjustability or flexibility or adaptability I was as a dancer. I was so um, comforted by a very um, routine, routine Mm -hmm. um, rhythm that was probably more often than not, not helping me. (laughs) And an unwillingness to sort of adapt and say, okay, so now during this rep program, I need more rest and I need that. And in the next one, I have more time to train and prepare. Mm -hmm. It was like, no matter the season, no matter the day, no matter the month, no matter the emotional load I had, I woke up, I did the exact same exercise thing. Mm -hmm. I went to class. I ate the exact same meal. I did a duh. And I just laugh. It was just so counterproductive, you know, (laughs) but I wasn't grounded enough. The the type of grounded that you're speaking to where it allows room for intuitive and sort of adjustable feedback, you know, like, of course not, because you were very used to from a very young age being told what to do. Yes. I mean, how did you ever feel if you walked into a classroom and somebody said, okay, improvise? Hated it. You would just freak out. I hated it. I never enjoyed that. (laughs) What's funny is that Shelby and I have talked about improvising with a group of ballet dancers, and Uh, pretty much everyone described their extreme (laughs) And I will say for myself, I did love it. It was the one thing I loved. And I think it's because I finally felt free. And then I would just go back to this like myopic, Mm -hmm. you know, bubble. But like, I just even think of the stress that put on my body. And I, I look back sometimes at, especially when I was on Broadway, I think I was in the most unhealthy shape because I was doing that exact same show every oh, yes. evening. That's and I, rough. and I wasn't good at like cross training. And I, I was very like controlling about the whole process I'm in such better shape now, not performing because I rest and my cortisol's low mm-hmm. and I go on long walks and I listen to my body. Mm-hmm. And I just, I don't know. I think, I think there's so much to be said for like, how do we, how do dancers, I think you do it through your energy and through the space you provide for them, but how do you like create a, an understanding that there's room for for flexibility in such a rigid art Mm -hmm. form. I mean, it's, that's a very good question. That's a very good question. And I think it's very difficult because it's still, the art form has still not really kind of moved forward enough to, to allow room for that concept of R and R, you know, rest, relaxation, recovery, the whole concept of recovery. Yeah. You know, your body can't just keep going. It needs a certain amount of time to pretty much not do as much or or even not do anything just to rest so that it can then build up again. Because you know, if you just keep going, it just wears out. Yeah. If yeah. you don't put oil, you know, if you don't put oil in a car it'll just stop after a while, you know, and our bodies take a little longer to stop. But if we keep pushing it and never resting and never giving it the fuel it needs in terms of nutritional fuel, mental health fuel, wellness fuel, whatever you want to put in there, you're going to break down somehow. And the somehow could be, you know, 
sprain your ankle or because you need time off and your body's like, well, this person's not listening. So let's sprain her ankle so she can take time off. <laughs> well, okay, let's flatter that fifth metatarsal. <laughs> I mean, it's burnout. It's just burnout you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, and exactly. At okay. some point, everybody hits the wall and it's either a career ending wall or a just big break. And we're seeing lots of Yeah. And you hope it's not career ending. And, you know, honestly, I've been in a situation where um, dancers have had serious career ending injuries. And I always recommend to them as much as possible within reason to please come back and do something so that you can choose when you want to stop rather making the injury be that defining moment. We yeah. all dancers have injuries at some point. Yeah. And, and who's to say that my injury is worse than your injury. I mean, it doesn't matter. It, yeah. It's, it's the fact that you have stopped doing what you love to do. Yeah. And that that shouldn't be the reason you stop. Yeah. yeah. You need to get back, get back into it and make sure that you really want to stop when you are feeling great <laughs> as yeah. much as possible. I love that advice. And that is profound because what it is, is you're taking back the narrative of your story and the story should be yours to finish. And, you know, injuries just feel like it's, you're being robbed. Um, But one thing that I, that I'm so thankful the conversation went in this direction, because it's something I've really grappled with in, in terms of serving the dance community from a holistic space. Now I'm teaching yoga for dancers and, Mm -hmm. and it's like, knowing that this is a population of people that are such extremists and they wouldn't be where they were if they weren't wired that way naturally, most intrinsically. Um, these are people where you give them PT exercises and you, you're, you become addicted to your PT, right? Like if I, if I got injured and got PT exercises, I was like, at what point I never knew at what point I should stop because clearly it was working. So like years later doing the same PT exercises from an injury, like four years ago, you know, and I've, I've bonded with other dancers over this, of this kind of like fear of releasing a regimen because God forbid it, those are the missing pieces that are holding you all together. And so it's like this great, almost irony of serving up opportunity or permission to find balance. Mm-hmm. To a community of people that have dedicated their entire professional lives to finding physical balance, but really, really struggle with most other areas of balance in their life. <laughs> and who doesn't? Who yeah. doesn't? Yeah. But it's like, it's like the great paradox, you know, and I, I'm sure that you feel oftentimes that your, your voice sits at the intersection of that because you know, you know, the passion you dance yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a yearning, it's a commitment, it's an addiction and, you know, and it comes at great cost. So true. And I think that, um, working with dancers who are former, let's say former professional dancers and working with many of them who have had injuries, have had hip replacements, et cetera, they, more or less always ask me, well, what, what exercise should I be doing? And my answer is always, what is it that you would love to do? (laughs) Because, you know, 
your body knows dance, your body knows ballet, get into the pool and do your ballet bar. Yeah. Do your tendus, plies, releves, and that use that as your exercise. Mm -hmm. You know, don't force yourself to do something just because it's in vogue, you know, to, you know, lift a hundred pounds these days and pump iron and do 80 million planks. That doesn't have to be your exercise. You can still do ballet or, or whatever form of dance you love to do. It may be a little bit less aggressive and less intense. And maybe instead of doing an hour and a half, you just do 30 minutes. But I always recommend that people find their way back by doing what they really have a a love to do. Mm -hmm. So true. The body knows like, and when you feed it something, you know, either by way of food or by way of movement or, or person, a person's energy on you that doesn't feel right. Your body talks to you, you know, and it's just a matter of if you're listening, but we're, we're kind of coming to the end of the time, but there's something I wanted to ask you that you, you kind of touched on, um, which I'm just curious to know, how often do you see like external, like romantic relationships or, or kind of like fam familial relationships. Um, how often is that a thread that's sort of triggering a perhaps like injury or like, you know, stress response that you, that you is like something you frequently see, or perhaps when someone's in a really good personal, like a change for the better in their personal life, like how, how often do you see that? I think I see that all the time because (laughs) I, I'm, I'm pretty positive that if you, for example, if you, let's say, sprained your ankle and everything was wonderful in your life and your family life and your love life, it's just going to be a sprained ankle. You're going to get over it pretty well, pretty yeah. quickly. But if you sprain your ankle and it could be just as minor as this first one, but you just broke up with your partner or you just lost a job or something happened that gave caused you stress, that's going to take a little bit longer to heal. And it usually does because so much of your healing is being taken up by this stuff that's going on about all this other stuff, you know, and I think it's, you know, it's really important that I think it's really important that, you know, all peoples, but dancers in particular, get off their feet, lie down and put their legs up and invert themselves slightly so that they can, you know, it's just a different way to feel your body. And I like to do things like, for example, let's say somebody has a stress fracture and they're recovering. One of my favorite exercises for them is to walk backwards in the studio because they don't know backwards. Yeah. So I don't, I want them to do something that is new and, and also very healing for the foot to roll through the toe first, but it also takes them, it forces them to focus on what they're doing and gets them out of that head of, oh, if he only didn't do this, or if she only didn't do that, they have to focus. And I think cognitive movement control is essential. Mm -hmm for all dancers, no matter what age they are, because you want to do, you want to be participating in your physicality at the time you're physical. 
yeah, as yeah. much as possible, you know? Like actively. Yeah. I, I like that even for meditation. I, I'm so drawn to like all the visual visualization mm-hmm. and visual forms of meditation because it's so active. It's like you're not just leaving your thoughts, you're, you're drawing them in and aligning them so mm-hmm. that you stay kind of. And I think that that's, I had a teacher who would always, he, his warm up for me was running, running kind of back, like walking backwards and then running backwards. He probably learned it from you looking back. On it. <laughs> and it was amazing. Like when I would do that, I would sweat and my body was like so juicy and ready. And now I'm frustrated that I stopped doing that later in my well, career. Now you can get back to it. <laughs> never too late. Never too it's late. never too late. And it's, yeah. it's really wonderful to, to, when you're recovering from an injury, it's always great to do something that's not familiar so that you don't go falling into that bad habit of whatever it was you were in, Mm -hmm. whether it's mental, physical, emotional, you know what I mean? I mean, that's a life, that's a life trick, a relationship, anything like don't fall back into that old pattern, you know? Right. So you do something you're not too familiar with, i.e. walking backwards. Yeah. I mean, that's like an easy, easy way to go. I'm going to start walking backwards to my dates and see if they go any differently. Okay. <laughs> Let me know. We'll circle back on that. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, you know, the body really does keep the score. And, you know, when we're working in fields of, of expressive and dramatic and passionate and beautiful nonverbal communication Mm -hmm. voices and energy and expertise like yours are just rich beyond words. And so on behalf of all the dancers that ever existed (laughs) (laughs) or across your knowledge and for all, for the legacy, true legacy that you are leaving behind and continuing to build as we speak, we thank you and we honor you. Oh, thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you. And I'm just grateful that I got to speak with you without coming to you for an injury. We got it. You don't need to. (laughs) Want to connect further with our community at Artists Becoming? Rate and review this podcast and subscribe to stay on top of our weekly guest artist conversations and our small chats, big topics. Check out www.artistsbecoming.com to learn more about our monthly subscription membership, filled with on-demand guided meditation and yummy yoga practices to support your unique journey as a performing artist. Follow along on Instagram at artistbecoming for sneak peeks and inspiring content and DM us the dream artists, athletes, performers, psychologists that you'd love to hear from or topics you'd like for us to unpack. Sharing is caring, so fire up that group chat, share to your stories, comment, Share, 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 and just stay connected with us. We are here for your becoming.